This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Showy, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. And for those of you who listen to audio only, this isn't going to mean anything to you. For those of you who watch YouTube, yes, I changed my background in this particular video. I usually record this in my office, but we have had several long days of no sunshine here where I live. And so the past two days, we've had beautiful sunny days and I have opted to work from my kitchen, which is all windows and get a little bit of extra sunlight, which is why I have the weird background for this podcast. Again, this doesn't apply to anybody who listens only to the audio, but just in case you're watching YouTube and you wonder why in the world my background has changed, that's why. Just want a little bit of sunlight today. So before we jump into the topic for today, I intended for this podcast, I I love how I always have intentions and then God has his plans. I intended for this podcast to talk about how we're new creations in Christ. And that takes a little bit more preparation and it's going to be a good bit of work. Again, I've said this before and and I'm going to just keep saying this. I don't consider myself a Bible teacher. I consider myself an encourager. I, I believe that is the gift that God has given me and how he has asked me to use what he's poured into my life for, for us, the body of Christ and, and those that belong to him which are anybody who would call in the name of Jesus to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. But it's also still very important to me to look to the word of God and encourage you with what I believe to be the best understanding of the word of God that I can give you. Now, the reason I phrased it that way is I am, you know, as a person who spent several years of my teen years working at a Christian bookstore and who spends a lot of time listening to a lot of Bible teachers across the spectrum, I'm keenly aware of all of the doctrinal differences that exist in the body of Christ. And those doctrinal, dis- you know, dis- differences have caused wars throughout the years. I mean, in, in Ireland, the Catholics and the Protestants are still fighting today and we're in 2021. So I understand that a lot of people take their doctrine very personally. And I do believe that there are certain non-negotiables when it comes to biblical doctrine. Obviously, Jesus is God and no one can be saved apart from him. I believe in the Trinity because it's just clearly documented throughout the Bible. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. There are clear non-essentials. But what the Lord has shown me and the reason that I want to take the time to have this message with you, because the topic of today's the topic of today's encouragement, I, I guess the best way to put it, is the body of Christ, how we should deal with and address people that have different doctrinal beliefs than ours. And I want to start off with just one clear fundamental point. Now we're going to get into the concept of love a little bit more, but First Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the love chapter because that's where Paul teaches us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It does not, you know, keep a record of wrongs, etc. But there's something snuck into first Corinthians chapter 13 that I think is often overlooked, but really important to talk about, especially when you're talking about the word of God, because Paul talks about this. And I want to read from the new King James version what he talks about how we understand on this side of eternity. So in first Corinthians chapter 13, verse eight, Paul says, love never fails, 
But where there are prophecies, there they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish. Now here's the key part, verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect has come. Oh, sorry, excuse me. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, Paul goes down further, and and that was verse 9 and 10. And here in verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, here's the key part. For I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. There's a lot packed into that, and we could go into a lot, but I think here's the key thing to understand. This side of eternity, we know in part and we understand in part. Any person who says to you that they can teach you the Bible without making a single mistake and that they have a perfect understanding of doctrine and theology just lied to you because they just overlooked 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I say this to say that there is not a human being alive who teaches the word of God perfectly because we only know in part. That doesn't mean that there are some that are closer to the truth than others. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that everybody is equal in this. But what I am saying is that nobody is perfect in this. And so I come to you humbly saying, I pray about this. I spend a lot of time in the word of God, but I'm not perfect. I'm still human filtering this through my human perspective. And while I spend a lot of time listening to people that I see the fruit of God in their lives, so I trust what they teach because of the fruit that is in their lives, because that is what we're called to judge by is fruit. So I spend a lot of time listening to really godly men who I believe teach the word of God through the Holy Spirit that they're still going to get it wrong sometimes. And with that foundation, I want to go into this and just remind you that you know, this, this podcast, God asked me to start this podcast to encourage you. We are, we are living in a day and age where the world is changing very quickly. And as I see current events happen, and I, I probably will talk about those a little bit more in future podcasts. I'm, I'm actually a political junkie. And by, by that, I, sh- I should, you know, clarify what I mean by that is I love politics. And I believe, you know, not politics per se. I shouldn't say that. I love the concept of a healthy government and what it means for people. I love freedom. Jesus says it is for freedom. He set us free. But one of the things I think it's really interesting in the prophecies about Jesus in Isaiah is it says the government shall be upon his shoulders. And when you see you know, how God established David and Solomon, I believe that God also can use anybody. We see this throughout the Bible. You have Nebuchadnezzar and I've, I've, um, you know, you can see Hezekiah, Josiah, you know, God, God loves godly leaders. And so I do believe that God cares about, you know, our, our government from the perspective of advancing his kingdom, not the way that we think about it. But because I, this is just deeply rooted in who I am. I actually have a copy of the declaration of independence hanging on my wall. It's a big, beautiful metal plaque with a wooden frame And I have a copy of the Constitution on my desk, the Bill of Rights. I love 
the biblical principles that this country was founded on. And I'm very passionate about it. And we're living in a day and age where we're seeing some of these principles that have guided us through hundreds of years of becoming one of the most incredible or the most you know, incredible country on the planet. We're seeing some of those come, come, come under fire. And as I follow godly leaders who get involved in politics, and I know that this is not a popular opinion, that the separation of church and state, which if you want to actually get into the history of that, was a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote, and it's not a principle that our government is founded on. I understand that a lot of people believe that pastors should stay out of politics. And I think for some politics, that's true. There are certain things that, you know, that's not, there are better things for us to do from a kingdom perspective, but there are certain kingdom principles that every single Christian should care about and advocate for that are political. And some of those issues, for example, are abortion. We should not be silent about the fact that millions of babies are slaughtered under our watch because God is not silent about that issue. The mutilation of children under the pretense of transgenderism is not something we should be silent about. There are a lot of things that as Christians, we have a responsibility to be a light in the world. Jesus made this very, very clear. And so I will, and this is not going to be today's podcast, I will at some point touch on some of these topics and talk about how as Christians, we should let our light shine. We should be salt because Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, then there's nothing more to be done with it than to cast it out. And so we have a responsibility. This is not get by on the hair of your chinny chin chin faith. This is a radical advancing faith that Jesus that Jesus called us to. And the reason that he gave us the Holy spirit is because we are to be changers. We are to be cultural catalysts. And that's why I named this podcast after much prayer made to conquer, because it is easy in today's world with the current events that we're facing and, and the way that right is being called wrong and wrong is being called right. (laughs) Like the examples I just gave you abortion and mutilating children in these days, it's easy to feel like we're powerless or we're the minority and we're being defeated. That's what Satan wants you to believe. That's what the enemy wants you to think. But Paul says we are more than conquerors, Romans 8. So I'll get into some of those topics at some point because I believe that God gave me that passion for government, that passion for how we are to be light in the world for a reason. But until then, I just want to hit some foundational stuff because you can, you can run enthusiastically in the wrong direction. <laughs> and until the foundational parts of your faith are deeply rooted in who you are, you can go out there and, and for the right, you know, with the right motives and the right heart say, hey, listen, I, you know, I, I want to help end abortion. But if you're not doing it led by the spirit, you can do more damage than harm. And I actually, one of the the teachers that I have a lot of respect for talks about this. He, he went on an anti-abortion campaign in his town and he did it in the flesh and not by the spirit. And he ended up wreaking havoc as a result of it. So there is a way to approach these things, but it has to be led by the spirit. But you know that all of that comes down to these foundational things. So in the last podcast, we talked about having that genuine relationship with the Lord. In this podcast, I want to talk about the body of Christ, because I think this is such an important concept. As I mentioned before, we have been fighting since the foundation of the church. I mean, even 
Paul addresses this to the church of the Corinthians. He says, some of you are saying I'm of Paul. Others are saying I'm of Apollos. He says, stop that. <laughs> You're not Paul or Apollos's disciple. You're the disciples of Jesus. We've been dividing ourselves since the beginning. And Paul rebuked that early on. And then we just kept doing it. <laughs> and I understand wanting to take a strong stance on doctrine. I, I spent some time, and again, I don't recommend doing this, going down the YouTube rabbit hole, listening to people who hold different opinions than I hold, uh, listening to people who criticize Bible teachers and churches that I look up to and admire. And I thought, you know, I need to be able to hear both sides of this story to address this very topic I'm going to talk about today, which is the body of Christ. And as I prayed through it, and as I saw this, the Lord just continued to show me the same thing over and over again. And that is nobody has it hundred percent, right? Yes. Some people have it more right than others. And yes, there are some churches out there that are not at all led by God. Um, you have to remember that for every real thing that God creates, Satan creates a counterfeit for. So there are churches out there that in the name of Jesus are, are not being led by Jesus, but are being led by demonic spirits. This is, you see this in the book of Acts. You see this throughout the New Testament. This is not a new concept. And if you, if you want to, if you want to even see in the Bible where Satan quotes scripture, go to the book of Matthew and, and look, read. It's, it's at the beginning of the book of Matthew and read when Jesus is tempted in the desert for 40 days and he comes out. And this is, this is Matthew chapter four. He comes out of the 40 days in the wilderness and Satan quotes scripture to him. And then Jesus uses the right context of scripture to rebuke him. So Satan can quote scripture. So I, 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 I want to be clear that yes, there are false teachings out there. Absolutely false teachings. There are people out there who are false, te who are false teachers, who are false prophets. The Bible tells us to be aware of these. You are to have discernment. And as a matter of fact, one of the gifts of the spirit is the gift of discernment. We are to have wisdom. We are to ask God for wisdom and be wise in what we ingest from the word of God. So you can't just, you know, I'm saying all this as a preface to what I'm about to teach about the body of Christ. You can't, you have to be wise. You have to pray and you can't accept everything you hear is true. You have to, you have to lay everything before the Lord and ask him to give you guidance this is why being filled with the Holy Spirit is so important because the Holy Spirit will help you sift the wheat from the tare. But you also have to accept that good, godly, spirit-led people are going to make mistakes sometimes, and they're going to have some flaws and holes in their doctrine because even Paul said that he only sees in part and knows in part. That doesn't detract from the, you know, the, the fact that what he wrote is the scripture, but it does mean that even Paul acknowledged that he didn't have a complete understanding. So if the if the apostle that founded our church and the, the author of the vast majority of the New Testament even recognize this, then any Bible teacher should recognize this. So I humbly come before you and share this with you as somebody who is, you know, as an encourager, this is, this is how I see my role. I'm going to get into this in a little bit more when we, when we dive into the text, but we're going to jump into first Corinthians chapter 12 and talk about the body of Christ, how we are a body. And as, as a person whose call is to encourage, I think of myself as like the blood of the body. And what does the blood do? The blood gets oxygen. Now, this is really fascinating because if you go back to the book of Genesis and you read the story of creation, what does God do? He takes dirt and he makes man. And what is it that finally brings Adam to life? God breathing into Adam. And so as 
the blood, you know, seeing my role as, as, uh, in the body of Christ as being the blood, my role is to take God's life and to distribute it amongst the body to, and then to take the waste and clean it out of the body. You know, I'm, I'm here to just bring, bring to you encouragement and life through Jesus, because I believe this is the calling he has on my life. And this is the, where he's producing fruit in my life, which is what, how we're supposed to judge other believers judge a tree by its fruit. Jesus told us. So I start all this to say, you do have to be careful. And, and as I listen to all these Bible teachers, you know, you can tell the difference between somebody who genuinely loves the Lord and is following the Lord, but maybe flawed in their thinking in some ways, or you think they're flawed in their thinking and somebody who is truly just looking to, to, to steal from the flock. Um, you know, that Jesus tells us that it, it, you know, when he's talking about the shepherd, he said, you know, I am the shepherd and my sheep know my voice. The, the false teachers don't enter by the gate. So they don't go through the way they're supposed to go. And they're not, they're there to steal, steal, kill and destroy. And, you know, I could, I can name a bunch of these false teachers and I'm not going to do that because that's not what I'm here for. But when I look at some of these really up, you know, blatantly false teachers, they're asking for money all the time. Give me money, give me money, give me money. God's going to bless you if you give me money. They're, they lie, they misrepresent the truth. You know, they take scripture out of context. And so that's one good check you can always see is if you're listening to a Bible teacher who doesn't teach you through a passage of scripture, but they use little tidbits of parts of scripture. So like, I love this one here. Um, given it shall be given unto you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. If you actually read that scripture in the context, Jesus is talking about judgment. <laughs> He's not talking about money. <laughs> Judge and you will be judged for with the same measure you use, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed together. So in other words, if you, if you can't take what somebody's teaching and put it in a context and see that it continues to make sense in the context of this, the passage, then it's, they're not a, they're not somebody I, I would trust to, to be fed from. And I would, I would, um, find other Bible teachers. Because let me just give you an example. The Bible says there is no God. There is actually a sentence in the Bible that says there is no God. But here's the whole sentence. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you can take the Bible out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say. So that's why you just have to know, know how to read your Bible in context. So with that said, in spite of the fact that there are false teachers out there and false prophets, that's not an excuse for you to go into your shell, find one one person, one small flock, and attach to them. That is not actually what Jesus told us to do. Paul rebuked that type of thinking. And the reason that I think this is so important is I believe we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. There are events that are beginning to line up that are in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to get into them today because that's not the purpose of today's conversation, but I will unpack those at some point in time. Um, if you're not paying attention, there's already massive moves in place right now towards a one world economic system. And the that is what Revelation told us, that we were going to have a one world government and one world economic system. And that's where the mark of the beast comes from. It's not something we need to be afraid of. I'm not going to, it's not scary. But what, what I'm saying is that these events, these things are beginning to take shape in front of our very eyes. And not only am I, you know, Jesus told us to pay attention to the times. Not, on, not only am I seeing and sensing a big change in the times, but I can't tell you how many Christians have said, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. He's waking me up. I've had so many people, and it's just been incredible to watch, who have not had a faithful walk with the Lord for a significant period of time saying, 
the Lord just spoke to me and he's waking me up and he has a call for my life. That is exactly what happened to me a couple of years ago after years of walking away from the Lord. I mean, the Holy Spirit literally one Bible message. I shared this in my testimony, so I won't rehash it. But I mean, I was on my knees praying and my life has been changed ever since. The Holy Spirit came so strongly over my life that I have not looked back. And so this is, this is a recurring theme amongst many believers that I know. And I believe that this, God is on the move right now. And as I pray about that, it's not just because the end is coming, but it's more important than that. And that's why I wanted to have this, this, share this topic with you. We are the bride of Christ, the church, okay? We, we are his reward. We are what he died for. That means that every single person who is also a believer is part of your body, is part of the bride of Christ, is a part of who you are. And that means that every person that will call on the name of Jesus and every person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and if you don't know what reference I'm referring to, that is in the book of Revelation, how Jesus deciphers who who is saved and who's not saved. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and obviously that's, you're saved, you know Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit. That's how we know whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life is our, is our body, is a part of who we are. And evangelism is really about casting the broadest net possible because we don't know who else those people are. Our job as evangelists are to go out and find our other brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus yet. That is our job. Think of it like this. Think of the bride of Christ like a, a, a baby developing in a woman's womb. You know, it started off with two cells and they multiply and multiply, multiply. And then over the gestation period, this full body forms. And then once the full body is formed, it's ready for birth. In the same way as, as a body of Christ, every, every new cell that grows is a new person, is, is a person who is meant to be a part of our body that finds their way to Jesus. The reason Jesus gave us the great commission, go tell the world about me, is because he wants to bring his entire bride. He wants his entire church to come to fruition. That's why we are 2,000 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and, and he still hasn't come back because he's waiting to complete his bride. He's waiting to complete his body. When you have that love relationship with Jesus, you should fall in love with the work he's given us here to do to bring the rest of our body into the kingdom. But also we should be excited about, I love that about, I love, I keep changing my thoughts all the time. We should be excited about getting to heaven. I love that mercy me song. I can only imagine because I love, I think all the time about how excited I am to finally be in person with Jesus. Gets me emotional when I think about it. I'm not in any hurry to advocate, abdicate, <laughs> advocate. <laughs> I'm not in any hurry to leave the role that God has for me right now. And, but I really want to see Jesus. Can I, can I just share something with you really quickly? And then we're going to get in the text. I promise that the Lord showed me, you know, Mary Magdalene, 
she's the she was the prostitute who Jesus cast demons out of her. She was also the sister of Lazarus. So we have really a couple really great stories about her in the Bible. She's also the woman who cried, you know, and wept and wiped her Jesus's feet with her tears in her hair, but she also poured the oil on his feet. So she's, she had a very intimate, beautiful relationship with Jesus. Now, if you read the gospels, you don't have to take my word for this. Go back and read the gospels. Jesus appeared to her first. In fact, Peter and John in the book of John, if you read the resurrection story, Peter and John get to the tomb before Mary Magdalene, according to the way John writes it. And then when they didn't see his body, they go back and Mary's distraught. And she looks in, she doesn't see anything. Or let me rephrase that. Yeah. Mary gets there, goes back and tells Peter and John, Peter and John show up. Jesus isn't there. They leave and she's sitting there crying. And then Jesus appears. Jesus waited until Peter and John left and he appeared to Mary first. They had such a special relationship that he, the first person he showed himself to, according to the scripture, was Mary. And I can't help but think this is the woman who wiped Jesus's feet with her tears, poured perfume on him, cried hysterically to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother hadn't died. I can't help but think that part of the reason that Jesus, the first person he showed himself to is Mary is because she just loved him so deeply. That is the, that is as the bride of Christ. We should be worthy of a Lord who gave everything for us. I think about that all the time. I think, Lord, what do I have to do to be worth? Like, how can I prepare myself for you? What can I do to allow you to transform me into a bride worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And so I want to go into this topic, reminding you that that is who we are. He is our reward. I am my beloved's and he is mine. He is our reward and we are his. And, and if you don't long for your savior, I would encourage you just to continue to deep, dig deeper into your relationship with him because there should be a longing for him in your being. That's really what we're living for. That's what the Christian life is about. We're living not for today and here and now, but for eternity. So with that said, let's, let's, let's think about our body. I want to I go through the scripture and show you how Jesus taught us to think about each other. Because I think this is really important. As we enter into these last days, how we treat each other and how we find the other members of our body, those those other parts of our being who don't know Jesus yet, who need that extra encouragement, just need to be revived. It is it's like any part of your body. When you treat one part of your body well, the rest of it flourishes. So we should have this mindset about all people. And because we don't know who his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have to assume that every single person we come across, regardless of what they profess today or not, could potentially be a part of our body, could potentially be one of the members of the Bride of Christ, which is why Jesus told us to love everyone, to be humble all the time because we don't know yet who is a member of our body. So let's go to John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, we're going to go through verses 9 through 17. This is kind of a long passage, but I want to start off by talking about the commandment that Jesus gives us. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now here's what Jesus said. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, obedience, 
just as I have kept my father command, my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Okay. So when we, when we keep Jesus's commands, his joy is in us and that your joy may be complete. We have complete joy when we keep Jesus's commands. And Jesus says this in verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. That is the command that Jesus gave us. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We are called to lay down our lives, but he understands this. He understands that the complete joy we get when we lay down our lives are because when we lay down our lives, we are serving our body. We are serving the other parts of who we are. It's like eating a healthy diet. You know, it, it, your tongue may not like it, but the rest of your body <laughs> enjoys it. And you can't eat healthy and it tastes good. But Jesus says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Again, Jesus is reminding us you have an eternity to think about. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Because he's, he's, he's saying that in the context of loving each other. This is my command, love each other. This is not a negotiable. I know that right now when it feels like so many people are your enemy, love is a really hard choice to make. Especially even just even the infighting I see in the church. Like when I listen to some of these YouTube videos of people criticizing other Christians, I sit here and I think to myself, wow, <laughs> some say I'm of Paul, others say I'm of Apollos. No, we're of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but here's, here's what really struck me. We're going to go now to John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples and he prays for all believers. And we fall in the all believers category. I think also the disciples, he's obviously referring there to the 12 disciples, but I think that it's also applicable to us. But I'm going to stick to the all believers section. We're going to go from verse 20 to 23. So he says, my prayer is not for them alone because he's talking about his disciples. He says, but this, he says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus said, I pray that they may be one. Not this denomination, not that denomination, not I'm going to stick to my group. When you put your denomination over the body, you are in direct violation of what Jesus asked us to be. I'm not saying you shouldn't stand up for doctrine that's right or wrong. There, like I said, there are, there are some people out there who teach false things, but that should, you should never, you should never put Irrelevant things over the people, period. Now, if somebody's teaching something heretical, you know, like Jesus is not God, that's different. But that again, that doesn't give us an excuse to mis mistreat them. We're still supposed to love them. But for those people who are disciples of Jesus, we are to be one, one, 
not divided, but one. Continuing on. So I just read verse 20 and 21. I'm going to go back and read the end of verse 21 because I, I want to keep this fluid. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, how is it that the world's going to believe? Because we are one. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Again, here he says it again, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. We are to be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Oh, sorry, excuse me. The world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for us that we may be one. He prays for us that we may be brought to complete unity. That is the heart of our shepherd. That is the heart of our king. That is the heart of our savior. And that is the heart of the one who laid down his life for us that we may be one, and that we may be unified. You can be unified with somebody. You can love somebody. You can be one with somebody and not agree with them. Listen, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I love my husband, and we are one. We are unified. We don't agree on everything, but we love each other, and we're unified. I look at it this way. Because I am not a pastor and it's not my, my role to be a pastor, I trust the Holy Spirit to correct somebody. There are some teachers out there who have been called out and rightfully so. And again, I'm not going to get into all of that. But it, if you're going to call somebody out for being a false teacher or false prophet, it should always be done in love. And that's where I think sometimes we miss this. So now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, not 13, 12. Because I want to talk about this in in more detail. You know, Paul talks about it, and I hit on this a little bit as I was talking about the body. But Paul Paul talks about it in in the terms of the body. So Jesus says, love each other and be unified. Now, here's how Paul describes how we are to function with each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go through verse 12 all the way through 31. As I mentioned, you want to be able to keep everything in context because I can't tell you how many false teachings I've heard because they're out of context. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but in its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Okay? So every every person that is a part of our body may look differently than you. They do look differently than you. They think differently than you. They have a different function than you. Just because they're a different part doesn't make them not a part of the body. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit, So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So again, Paul's acknowledging, yes, we're going to be different. We're going to look different, but we are still one body. Paul says, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Just because a foot says, I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, doesn't make it not a part of the body. He says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? (laughs) But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
I'm going to read that again. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. When we get busy judging our brothers, when we get caught up on non-relevant or, or just like the whole theological arguments that go on, just blow my mind. We're essentially challenging who God made people to be. I'm not talking about defending good doctrine. I'm talking about getting caught up. Like I'll give you an example of something that I think is hilarious. There are literally churches that have split over whether or not you believe in a pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib rapture. Here's the truth of it all. I don't care how much you've studied your Bible and how strong of a position you've got. The Bible is not crystal clear on that topic, period. I have heard teaching after teaching after teaching from pre, post, and mid-trib teachers, and they're all extrapolating to some degree. It is not, it is not an essential doctrine. How in the world we're splitting a church over something that is ambiguous at best in the scripture is mind-blowing to me. I, I was actually looking up a website for a church the other day. And when you read their doctrine, they start off by saying, we believe in a pre-trip. And I thought to myself, that's the first thing you're going to say about your body is that you, you believe in a pre-trip rapture. Where, where's Jesus? Nowhere in this church's doctrine did I see anything about Jesus. And I thought to myself, really? Really? <laughs> Majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. Again, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying we get so caught up in criticizing each other that we don't even stop to think and realize how irrational we're being about this. Now, I understand that there are some Bible teachers who would take me to, you know, um, what is it? What's the saying? Take me to task on this because they believe, you know, the reason that we believe in a preacher rapture is because we do not believe that the judgment is for God's people. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I know. I've heard the arguments, but I'm saying to you, when that becomes a divisive point, you've completely violated the word of God. So I can't, or Jesus' command for us to be unified. I'm sorry, but I, you can justify it all day long. I just, it's contrary <laughs> to what Jesus told us to do. And it's not as clear as the scripture would say. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus clearly say, I'm going to come get you before the tribulation. It's just not said that way. Now, I can see why you might, might believe that, but it's not black and white in the scripture. There are things that are black and white in the scripture. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that, that's my point about this is when, when we begin to criticize each other, we're not criticizing each other. We're actually criticizing how God has structured his, his church. That's what he says here. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. When we minor in the minors or minor in the majors and major in the minors, in other words, when we make mountains out of molehills, we divide each other over things that are not relevant. Now, I know I'm picked on that church for you know talking about their pre-trib, but what I'm saying is I would never make that a point of contention Period. <laughs> if you want to say pre-trip, good for you. You know what I, you know what I say? I'm just going to wait and see. <laughs> it doesn't matter because Jesus said to be prepared. That's what Jesus told us to focus on. He said, you know, he told us the parable of the virgins. He tells us to, he gives us the, the parable of the watchman, like be prepared, be on guard. That's what Jesus said to worry about. He didn't say to worry about when it was going to happen. He even said, I don't know when it's going to happen. He just said, be prepared. That's what I think we need to be focusing on whether or not there's a rapture or when it occurs is secondary to the fact that we need to be prepared. I know I kind of went on a on tangent there, but I'm, I'm just, this, this scripture is so powerful. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So let's keep going. If they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. So that there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So I, I want to pause there for a second, and then we're going to read the rest of, of this because it goes down. I, I finished on verse 26, and it goes down through 31. This doesn't just apply to American Christians, by the way. This, this is our body across the world. We have believers right now. We have brothers and sisters. We have parts of our body that are under serious persecution. Like if you think as an American you're being persecuted, you, you're not paying attention to how the world is working. Our Chinese brothers and sisters cannot congregate like we can. Their lives are at risk when they do that. Across the world, we have believers who are under serious persecution. The reason that I believe that God really wanted to share this message today and wanted me to speak this is because he wants to remind us that we have a responsibility to each other, not only to be unified amongst ourselves, stop fighting over irrelevant doctrines, And I know somebody would argue with me that it was not irrelevant, but I'm sorry, if it's not black and white in the scripture, (laughs) I'm not going to put it on a key, (laughs) a key. (laughs) I mean, yes, I think the scripture is great and I think we should study all of it. And I think we should do our best to understand it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying these things should not be divisional amongst us. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. We need to be unified as a body because we have a job to do. We have the rest of the world to, to, reach out to and say, hey, Jesus has life for you. That's what we should be focused on. That is what our job on earth is. Go tell the world about me. That should be, our focus should be on what it is that God has called us to do. We are a body. We are to be building each other, feeding each other, caring for each other, nourishing each other. Paul tells us how we do this. He keeps going on now in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And he says, and, and then he explains how he, how God structures the body. He says, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, then second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly, now eagerly desire the gifts. Now, what's interesting is this is how Paul segues into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he says, you can do all these things, you can prophesy, you can have all knowledge, but if you do not have love, you are nothing. So, so Paul goes into this, and now he segues into this. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent, excellent way. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries 
So you can, you can know everything there is to know and all knowledge. And if you have all faith and you can move mountains, but you have no love, you are nothing. If you give all that you possess to the poor and give over your body to hardship so that you can boast, but you do not have love, you gain nothing. And he tells us love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Does not dishonor others. This is something we are terrible at in this culture. I'm speaking specifically to American Christians. We are terrible about dishonoring others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Mm. <laughs> it keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then we started back to where we started, where there are prophecies, they will cease, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And you know, we only know in part, we only see in part. And then he ends 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, greatest of these is love. We are not always going to agree with each other. That's okay. Because we're all imperfect. But we are called to love each other. We are called to lift each other up. The great commission is finding the rest of our body, finding those members that God created, placed just as he wanted them to be in our body. We're going to function different. We're going to look different. We're going to smell different. <laughs> We're going to have different ways of approaching things. American Christianity is not the gospel. <laughs> our way of doing things is not the only way of doing things. God has, he's so much bigger than that. You know, what I love about the Bible is it's the story of, of Israel and, and God's people, but you have these little nuggets where it shows you that God has a lot more than we realize. His kingdom is much bigger than we think. Just think about the, the Magi, the wise men that visit Jesus after his birth. Where did they come from? The East. Yet they knew about the Messiah's coming. Another great example of this is in the book of Numbers, I had uh, some time the other day. I wasn't feeling really well. And so I decided just to kind of sit and read through the Bible. And I was reading through the book of Numbers. And you have this story where the Israelites are starting to go in and, and you know, move into the, the promised land. This is before Joshua. This is still Moses. And you have the story in Numbers chapter 22 of Balaam. And what's fascinating is, is Balaam is some sort of man of God. I, you know, the, the Bible's not, doesn't talk a lot about him, but he hears from God and he is hired by Balak or Balak, however you say that to go and curse the Israelites. And this is the story of the talking donkey. You, you all know the story where he, he says to Balak, God says, no, you can't curse him, but you can go bless him. And so Balak says, or, or um, Balaam says to Balak, I'll go, but I'm not going to curse him. <laughs> and so he gets on his donkey and he starts riding his donkey and an angel of the Lord appears and the donkey's like, I'm not moving any further, but Balaam doesn't see the donkey. And so he starts beating his donkey. And finally the donkey talks to him and he talks back to his donkey, which I think is a hilarious story. Like nowhere does he say, and Balaam looked at his donkey and thought, why is my donkey talking to me? Instead, he responds to the donkey and fights with the donkey and comes to see the angel. And he goes on to bless the people of Israel. But what I was thinking is, where did this guy come from? <laughs> because up to this point, the story that we follow is Abraham, Moses, and, and now you got this Balaam guy who has some sort of relationship with the Lord. I say this to say that the body of Christ is bigger than you think. There, God has people everywhere. 
And even in the story of Elijah, you know, he's like so upset and God's like, I've got a thousand people who've never bowed their knee. In other words, God has people everywhere. His, his kingdom is bigger. It looks different than you think. It's weird. God is weird. If you don't think God is weird, you've not read your Bible. Elijah prophesied to dry bones and they came to life. Okay. Or excuse me, Ezekiel, not Elijah, Ezekiel. God does weird things. Moses struck a rock and water flowed out of it. You know, the stories are, are amazing and, and bizarre and wonderful. They just show the creativity of our God. So you have members of your body out there that look differently than you think they should, that smell different, that are funny, that don't, that might be a part of the body that you don't understand very well. Embrace them, love them. Let's be one. Guys, we're entering into a day where we're entering into a time where our unity is going to be such a big part of, you know, going back to what Jesus said in John chapter 17, such a big part of how the world knows that we've been sent. That unity is going to be, you know, Jesus said, my disciples will be known by their love. It is, it is our witness. It's how the world separates us from everything else. If we behave like the world, if we act like the world, if we fight amongst ourselves, if we get caught up in irrelevant doctrinal fights, if we, if we lose perspective on what matters, then we're not, we're missing out on that gift that Jesus gave us to be a light in the world through our unity. So as you go out and as you learn to live out your faith, Remember that every human being you come in contact with is created in God's image, is a person that has God's mark on their life and could very well be a member of your body that you just don't know it yet. Treat each person accordingly. Love people unconditionally. Study your Bible so you can be discerning and, f- and identify false teachers for- and false prophets So that way we don't have to be divided about irrelevant things. We should be protecting each other from those that come to steal, kill, and destroy. But it should not be a divisional, like fighting over. Some of these things are crazy. (laughs) Major in the majors and minor in the minors. Let's keep our priority on things. And the unity is going to come because we are in relationship with Jesus. The love is going to come through the Holy Spirit filling our lives. This is not something you can create on your own. It comes as an outpouring of the time that you spend with the Lord. So I would encourage you to look at the churches around the area and look at the people that you run into and start seeing them through the lens of a member of your body and start seeing them through the lens of God is sovereign. You know, the Lord this morning in my quiet time, I read through Psalm 139. And I did a little video on Facebook about it because it was really powerful because today is the culmination of the March for Life. And Psalm 139 talks about, you have searched me and you know me, Lord. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. It's a beautiful psalm. And he says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Verse 16, Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every life on this planet, God saw their unformed body 
and all the days of their life ordained for them, written in, his, written in his book before they came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. These precious thoughts are God's precious people. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister this to your heart so when you look at people, you see your body and not an adversary. So when you have the opportunity to share the gospel, you think this might be part of my bride. (laughs) This might be part of who Jesus died for. So you can approach people with the love and the open-heartedness, and you don't let your ego and you don't let fear of rejection supersede the more important aspect. Because, I mean, we all deal with this. I fear rejection. I fear, oh gosh, you know, somebody's going to write me off as a religious zealot and stop being my friend. And then I'm going to lose out on the opportunity to minister to them. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be filled with the spirit and you, you need to be led by the spirit. So you don't Bible bash people. You want, you want God's Holy spirit to lead people into conversation. I tell people, you know, one of the things that one of my missions in life is to be a soil creator, a good soil creator, you know, help minister the gospel in such a way that ideally the foundation that's laid in is good soil. Not, you're not, get saved or you're going to (laughs) die. Not that, but there's a great, beautiful place that God has for you. Come into the kingdom, inviting people into the kingdom. Heart openers, your your goal in life to be open people's hearts. But but often we get caught up in the fear of rejection. What are people going to think? If that's where you're coming from, you're approaching it the wrong way. Stop worrying about what people think about you. Stop thinking of it in terms of, you know, this could hurt my career or this could impact my friendships. Think about it this way. When you are loving people, genuinely loving people, and you are being led by the spirit, God is going to produce a crop in your life. And if you give it to him, he will multiply it. What you hold from him out of fear or, or because you're not entering into relationship with him, is just something you're not allowing him to create multiply in your life. I heard a pastor say this this week, and it was really profound. He said, He's talking about whether or not he should open his church during the pandemic. It's it's um, against his against you know the the ordinance of the city he lives in. He can't open his church, and the Holy Spirit said, "I want you to open your church." <laughs> so he prayed about it and he talked to his attorney, and his attorney said, "Yeah, I mean these are the risks you run. You have pretty significant risks, but we're told to um, obey God, not man." And, and and I know there's a whole Romans chapter thirteen, and I'm not going to get into all that. The pastor addressed that very clearly, and and I know some of you may say you're not supposed to disobey, but um, I'm not going to get into that. Basically that the pastor did a great job explaining the fact that we are a government of the people by the people for the people. And so when our constitutional rights are being violated by unconstitutional laws, that it is, it is actually in obeying, our, uh, you know, obeying our laws to, to say, no, you, my, I'm not closing my church. You don't have a constitutional right to tell me to close my church, but that's not the point here. But what he's saying, what the pastor was saying is, you know, I, I sat back and I thought about it all. And I thought, well, Lord, I, I've given you my finances. I've given you my life. I've given you my church. This is your church. I'm just the steward of it. Nobody can take away from me what I've already given away. And when I heard that saying, you, you know, nobody can take away from me what I've already given away. That means everything in your life that you give to God is his. And if you truly give it to him and let him produce a crop in your life, it's going to be magnificent what he does with it. Stop trying to hold on to the things in your life God has asked you to give to him. Your pride, your ego, your social status, your financial status, your friendships are all the Lord's. Let him produce a crop. Let him sift the wheat from the tear in your life. 
be obedient, but be obedient through relationship with Jesus, not through religion, not through fakeianity, not through churchianity, not by getting zealous, but by being filled with God's spirit and led by his spirit. Guys, let's go find the rest of our body. Let's go encourage each other. Let's go unify. Let's go do what Jesus called us to do. Let's be a light in the world and let's show the world what love can do. That is what this is all about. I love you guys. I do. I spend so much time praying for you. I spend so much time preparing for this because I so badly want the rest of our body to come together so we can go be with Jesus. But we can't leave without everybody getting there. God's, God is the one who's going to get it there, but he's given us an opportunity to participate in this with him. Let's recklessly abandon everything to him. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's the first part of the scripture. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test God's will. Guys, give, give it all to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. He will make it much more beautiful. Hold nothing back. Recklessly love God. Be transformed. And let's go change the world. That's why Jesus died. Love you guys. Be well. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.